you know, we often turn away and try to forget things like this as soon as possible. But just like with other negative memories, that can end up not being worth the cost. When trauma goes unprocessed, underground, undiscussed, and even actively repressed, our core remains disturbed and unhealed. The trauma builds up and it festers. It doesn't go away because we refuse to think about it. Welcome to this month's episode of Shrinks After Hours. It's the last Tuesday of every month where Julie and I sit around and chat about things we find important. Of course, we always think our podcast is important. It is. Even more informal conversations. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in, sit back, relax, and join our conversation. We're going to be talking about pandemic trauma today. You know, Cindy, I feel like a lot of people in our population have been traumatized by the pandemic we've been living in. I obviously agree, Julie. It's been over a year and a half living with COVID-19. Over a year and a half of high levels of fear, loss, separation, anxiety, separation anxiety, (laughs) and uncertainty. (laughs) A year and a half of changes, both small and profound, and it's been hard on mental health. It really has. COVID-19 has been a global mass trauma, a huge event that traumatizes a lot of people, huge millions of people. It doesn't jump out at you like a war or a terrorist attack might, but it is a kind of collective trauma. More than 670,000 Americans have died. Think about that number. And 41 million, I think it's over 41 million now, have been infected with COVID-19, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So many people have lost their lives. Many people have lost their businesses, family members. Many have been physically distanced from loved ones and Loved ones have died and they couldn't be with them at the end of their life. All sorts of rituals and routines of normal life have been upended from classroom learning to big celebrations, to funerals, just even simple gatherings. Things have been postponed or just altered. Everything's so different from how it used to be. Yeah, the numbers are changing every day still. The effects of collective traumas are more than psychological. They're also social, economic, political, and they come along with mass feelings of helplessness and disconnection. And that's why we're talking about pandemic trauma today. We need to reflect on it and process it. (laughs) Exactly. So much has been impacted. Normal ways we cope with illness, death, and grief have been disrupted by this pandemic. Everyone has faced so much loss during this time with nowhere to put the grief. Grief takes time, and not having options for grieving together in our usual ways can slow the healing. And since we're still in a pandemic, it's hard to heal anyway. Yeah. In general, death traumatizes people, but, you know, we all haven't been able to gather, except over Zoom, in support of each other and to comfort one another. As before, we can't give each other hugs. We can't cry together, except at a distance. 
the rapid deteriorations that we've seen in some cases of COVID-19, where a patient goes from mild symptoms one day, death a few days later, that is really hard to process, really emotionally difficult to make sense of. And people just can't get closure or comfort and support from friends and loved ones because of restricted hospital visits. We know you know all this stuff, but it is really important to reflect on it, to think about it, to remember how it feels. Because not being able to process trauma and grief seriously interfere with your health, with healthy grieving, with just good mental health. And I was just thinking as you were talking that all along with all this happening, the usual things are happening. People are getting sick and dying and needing health care. And there's still all that. Right. Not from COVID-19, just general life and illness. So this is adding just so much to that. Nurses and doctors face a lot of potential trauma. They've been surrounded by death with inadequate resources and I mean, there are images of patients hooked up to tubes and life support machines. Some even face crises in their own identity as ethical humans because they've had to make life and death decisions. You know, they have to triage who to, who to take care of and who to leave in the way yeah. down. In my practice, I've talked to doctors and other health professionals, and they are so traumatized. They've watched numerous people die. And then they often have to talk to the family members and let them know It's just, and then the next shipment of people comes in and then they're dying. It's unbelievable. Obviously being infected with the coronavirus is really, um, especially when it's a severe case, it's definitely traumatic. It's like, you know, a brush with death, if not death. And the consequences can be so devastating for the person when they survive, if they get to survive and their loved ones. And the disease symptoms themselves are totally overwhelming. I've worked with people who, you know, they just can't catch their breath or they're exhausted all the time, or they're having kidney failure that they didn't have before because of COVID, you know, blood clots and symptoms. But really the one that scares people the most is being unable to breathe. That is terrifying and very traumatizing. That really is. Having breathing problems or a severe respiratory virus is so scary. And also when you can't breathe well, you get tired and dizzy easily. You can't exercise, you feel weak, and there's usually pain. Then the really severe cases end up in the ICU with a ventilator to help them breathe. So then they can't move in that thing. They're separated from family and friends. And of course they're sedated, but that doesn't necessarily stop the anxiety about their health and survival or possible job loss or whatever consequences down the line. Our sense of life and it's, basic like ebb and flow. It's just totally disrupted. Time seems distorted. I have that personally. Like I can't remember when things happened during this pandemic. I have to kind of remember the months like, okay, it started in March. We get distracted and confused. A lot of people are suffering from all kinds of vicarious or secondary trauma too, from the news, the repeated news of deaths and watching, like you said, seeing people on ventilators on the news and all the stories along with them. Strictly speaking, that's not really PTSD, but that doesn't really matter to me because I think people are traumatized and we're so seeing a huge increase in stress, misery, anxiety, depression. It's all on the rise. And the very things we'd usually turn toward under pressure like that, like friends and neighbors, can now be considered threats. Yeah. A little less so now if they're vaccinated, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're still supposed to keep a distance. Gatherings and social networks are important to help us during trauma recovery, but 
in a pandemic, we have to cross the street rather than get too close to anybody. Yeah, I mean, and it's true, even um, if you're with people who are vaccinated, you're not supposed to be so close because it can still be transmitted. And a lot of times you might be around people and you don't know if they're vaccinated, so you have to keep your distance. So the vaccines are great, but they don't really solve the problem. And the economic challenges that COVID-19 has caused, the lockdowns, there are bankruptcies, unemployment, deterioration of people's lives, life savings, plans for their future. A lot of people are homeless or they're going to be evicted or they've been evicted. A large percentage of the population of this country could either no longer work or they worked under extreme challenges and health risks. And for those people in jobs working from home, which is like a blessing to be able to do that, even that has its challenges. Yeah, everybody is challenged. I'm also worried about the children right now. It's so scary for them. And while they're both more adaptable and more sensitive, we don't want them developing a fearful view of the world where it seems unsafe and grown-ups don't know what to do about it. That would be terrifying. Although um, that's true, but it is scary. You don't want kids to be scared all the time. No. Yeah. And another thing that has come to light because of this horrible pandemic is increasing knowledge of the horrible racial inequities. There are more African-Americans dying and and generally people of color dying from this virus. And it just adds to the historical traumas around race that already exist. Honestly, Julie, absolutely everything has been affected. Things like social distancing are necessary to reduce the spread of COVID-19 but they're also causing people to feel isolated and lonely and increasing stress and anxiety, which can also cause unexplained physical symptoms or maybe explained physical symptoms like skin rashes, gastrointestinal problems, muscle aches, fatigues and headaches. Like everybody has all these things right now. I know I keep hearing so many of those symptoms. You're right. People just keep saying like they are experiencing them. Even everyday tragedies have the potential for trauma. Being fired from a job is highly traumatic anyway, because a job tends to increase self-esteem and safety and purpose. And you have a social network at work. They take a lot of our waking lifetime. (laughs) But being unexpectedly fired leaves a big hole where people can experience a ton of stress and worry about the future. Being on the front line, seeing loved ones die, Having COVID yourself, these are traumatic experiences that could lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. So COVID-19 is causing a lot of trauma and impacting mental health. It's impacting those who suffered from serious COVID and potential death, family members, healthcare workers witnessing others suffering and death, people learning about the death or risk of death, people experiencing extreme exposure to gruesome details, journalists, first responders, medical examiners, hospital personnel, and in addition, affecting everyday people just trying to keep a job and stay safe. Yeah, that kind of sums it up. Possibly tens of millions of people have been affected by this. And, you know, stress causes people to have a lot of different feelings, right? I mean, we're psychologists, we know this. Fear, anger, sadness, worry. People feel numbness or dissociation you know, easily frustrated. There's so many people who are kind of grumpy and, you know, just easily aggravated. 
people have changes in appetite. I don't know how many people have told me they've gained weight during the pandemic. Changes in energy, changes in desire, lacking interest in things like, you know, whether it's their their partner or a book or a movie, just feeling kind of bland. People have trouble concentrating. They can't even read a book. People have trouble making decisions. And I'm sure anyone listening knows people are having trouble sleeping. It's like a national crisis, as well as some people have nightmares. So all that stress, that can cause chronic health problems if it doesn't get processed, worked through. Those health problems can be physical, like you mentioned, you can get rashes and and weird GI problems, but also mental health. So many people are more anxious than they were before. And it's like a a cycle that they can't get out of. And of course, people self-medicate in a million ways. So they use tobacco, alcohol, food, sugar, you know, all kinds of things that may not be the healthiest ways to try to, you know, reduce that stress. So it's really important to try to learn to cope with stress in healthier ways that will help us all to be more resilient. And that is where we're going with this, people who are listening. We're not trying to just bring it all down and not give you some ideas for what to do. We would never Um, do that. No. After this pandemic ends, we're just concerned as psychologists and humans, that some effects of this trauma are going to linger. We were hammering it in, but we also have a method here. So keep listening. So how can we help people? That's what we're here to do. Whose mental health has been harmed by COVID-19 and how do they help themselves going forward? So there are some practical things we can do. Always ensure that you have adequate PPE, you know, wash your hands, wear masks, keep doing the things that you were doing to clean and disinfect. It doesn't just protect you against COVID, but all kinds of other transmittable illnesses. So it's always good to be clean as much as you can. And workers, especially healthcare workers, they need access to childcare. They need to have adequate rests and breaks. I actually think they need to have group sessions where they decompress with each other. And maybe they shouldn't have to do the less essential tasks because they're managing such intense stuff. That's all really important stuff. I think a lot of people experience symptoms after a traumatic event, and it's important to realize they will heal after a period of time. It's those people that end up with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, that can't move past their trauma. So we should tell people some of the symptoms. They typically develop soon after the event, though sometimes they can be delayed and they include reliving the traumatic experience through nightmares and intrusive memories and thoughts that feel like you're reliving the experience. Not just that it's a memory that you keep thinking about, but that you're actually reliving it again. Yeah. And unfortunately, people who already had PTSD, when they get re-traumatized, are much more likely to have PTSD from the next trauma. So experiencing event triggering anxiety and avoidance, anything that reminds you of the event can suddenly trigger all that anxiety and upset. And then, you know, you can end up trying to go out of your way to avoid the things that trigger that feeling. And you can isolate yourself a little bit or shrink your life because you're avoiding things that make you feel traumatized. And a lot of people with PTSD become more upset and more emotional than usual because trauma shocks us and it changes the way that we are, the way we see ourselves, the way we see the world, the way we see other people. A lot of times it leads to a feeling of helplessness. And like I said before, you can feel very shut down. 
So experiencing trauma creates a lot of changes in how you might think and how your moods are, and you feel emotionally dysregulated. When it's too hard to handle your emotions the way you might have used to, you know, been able to handle your emotions, then, then you know you're having PTSD. Yes. And the good news is that PTSD can be treated effectively with psychotherapy and sometimes in combination with medication, because sometimes you just need something that helps you take the edge off, reduce your feeling of the overall sense of, you know, fear and threat, and that helps you work in psychotherapy. You also don't have to have full-on PTSD to need some intervention, like some social support or activities that help you get out and re-engage, staying active, going for walks, running, connecting with friends and family. Lots of people are having a tough time dealing with this stuff and have to come up with ways to stay engaged. Yeah. I mean, I know I find when I talk to people who are really depressed, they just don't want to, they can't, you know, they're so stuck. And the paradox of it is if you're depressed, if you can get yourself to do anything, you kind of start the ball rolling, you feel a little better. But if you don't get yourself to do anything, you just wallow in how helpless and depressed you are. It is really natural to feel stress, anxiety, grief, worry during the pandemic. Those are real feelings based on real experiences. And there are ways that you can help yourself. You can help others and also even your community. You can help them to manage stress. And it's great to help others. That helps you a lot when you do that. Yeah, one of the ways to help yourself and also to prepare yourself to help others is to practice mindfulness, which is the subject of our next Shrinks After Hours podcast at the end of next month. So stay tuned for that. And other things you could do include taking breaks from watching, reading, or listening to the news, including on special media. Mm -hmm. It is good to be informed, but hearing about the pandemic constantly can be way too upsetting. Consider limiting news that you take in and feel free to disconnect. Take care of your body, take deep breaths, stretch, meditate. Yeah, I've had lots of conversations with people where we've talked about what would it be like if you stepped away from the news and social media? What would you actually miss? And the truth is you'd miss very little. It's very repetitive and very triggering. So feel free to step away. Do an experiment where you step away for a few days and you see how it feels. It will feel better. Also, try to eat healthy, well-balanced meals, exercise. I have said to people who don't exercise at all, I don't care, exercise for five minutes. That's five more minutes than you would have. <laughs> Do that every day. Yeah. Try to get a decent amount of sleep. And even though it's used for self-medication, like I said, try to avoid excessive alcohol, tobacco, other substances. Do not skip routine preventative measures like getting your vaccinations, getting screenings, going to your PCP as recommended and get vaccinated with the vaccine for COVID-19. Honestly, go do it if you haven't. What are you waiting for? And make time to unwind. Try to do some other activities that you enjoy. Talk to people you trust about your concerns and about how you're feeling. Do it in person if you can safely. Do it online, through social media by phone, by mail, any way you can communicate with people helps to combat loneliness and isolation. Taking care of yourself can help you to take care of others and helping others cope with stress can help everyone, you and them, feel less lonely or isolated. We need to balance what are called protective factors versus the stressors. 
We went through what the COVID stressors are and what people are facing as we cope with the pandemic. Protective factors are things in your life that help lessen the negative impacts of all that. These are things like having good social support, having financial stability or employment, decent healthcare, a safe workplace, wellness programs, adequate PPE and COVID testing. These factors are what seems to help lessen the impact of the pandemic issues. Things that you do as a community, like book clubs, movies, live music, bingo, anything outdoors, family gatherings on lawns or parking lots. Of course, with some social distancing and masking, or if you do it virtually, self-help groups, 12-step groups, religious services, all kinds of special interest groups, employee groups, working from home. These have all increased, of course, because people are trying to connect. And what they do is they help us feel connected. They help us feel less isolated and lonely. Anyone can become hopeless with all this. Yeah. It's important to to work on reframing our beliefs about what's happening and about our sense of self to work through the trauma's impact. You know, this isn't the first pandemic that's hit the world. There have been quite a few. Did you know that throughout human history, pandemics have killed an estimated 300 to 500 million people? I know it's strange, but that does feel better somehow to know that. It's a thing that happens, I guess. The bubonic plague killed like 60% of the European population in the Middle Ages. And of course, as of today, more than four and a half million people have died from COVID across the world. And that number of deaths is rising, unfortunately, still pretty quickly every day. And that's what's made it such a massive traumatic event. And the way we end up dealing with it will impact how well we recover. You know, we often turn away and try to forget things like this as soon as possible. But just like with other negative memories, that can end up not being worth the cost. When trauma goes unprocessed, underground, undiscussed, and even actively repressed, our core remains disturbed and unhealed. The trauma builds up and it festers. It doesn't go away because we refuse to think about it. Right, exactly. That's why people have so many physical symptoms right now, because it's them not really processing all those feelings. When experiences or events remind us of an unprocessed trauma, we get irritable, we get anxious, aggressive, aggressive. You may have noticed that people have become very aggressive lately. Well, that's why. So, you know, we try to avoid triggers like that, but that doesn't always work. And we get triggered and we get overwhelmed. As we've talked about with some of the events in our history, even government officials sometimes pretend a traumatic event never happened, including through the censorship of school textbooks. Cholera, bubonic plague, smallpox, and influenza have been some of the biggest killers in pandemic history. Just like the last global pandemic of just over 100 years ago, COVID-19 might end up being surprisingly easy to forget. I bet most of us during this pandemic only then learned about the plague of 100 years ago. But that was the 1918 flu that was called the forgotten flu because we don't talk about it. We hardly learn about it. It's just not that well remembered. And at least 500 million people from around the world were infected and about 50 million died from it. Most of us have heard about yellow fever or the flu, but not in the detail, not the way that we are at all thinking about it now because we're living through another one. That generation 
Now we have to think about what they lived through and what it felt like for them a hundred years ago. You know, what's really interesting, New Zealand of all the countries in the world <laughs> is the only country that instituted a national memorial process to acknowledge the impact of that flu from a hundred years ago. Yeah, maybe if we remembered it, we would have had, you know, more ideas in terms of how to deal with it faster. Remembering also, and even commemorating the effects of a pandemic or any traumatic event helps to build ritual around it, which helps to make comfort and support a group effort. It would help us to have a shared understanding and make meaning of this event. Also a way to deal with the grieving that was so isolated during the pandemic. It might help us prepare for future crises rather than hoping that if we don't think about it, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was and surely it won't happen again. If the trauma is collective, it would help to process it in some way on a collective scale. Yes, we went through something big, all of us. Yeah, it would bring people together to acknowledge that we've all suffered to varying degrees. Some people way more than others, but sure. Absolutely. There are some spontaneous commemorations that we've all seen, like people clapping and banging pots for healthcare providers, you know, at seven o'clock on the evenings. We kept watching that in New York. And, you know, sometimes that even made me emotional just to have that huge number of people acknowledge how grateful they are to those people. And so more widespread specific recognition of those we've lost to, to COVID-19 might also help in mass recovery. You know, like we could list names, we could have some sort of service. I know that when President Biden began his presidency, he did that at the Lincoln Memorial and it was really powerful. But we need to keep doing it. We need to keep reflecting on it. We need to take a minute here and there and recognize the massive loss and trauma that our nation and, and also the whole world has been through together. I guess on a positive note, all previous pandemics ended and we're hopeful that this one will too. Please. Vaccines, at least for adults, are widely available and public spaces are reopening. It's not time for celebration yet because we're also seeing a new wave, but the ways we live and work together and view each other, everything continues to mean something different now. To forget the trauma and act like it didn't mean anything or change anything would be a kind of gaslighting and not helpful at all for recovery. No, it would prevent recovery. We will never have lived in a world where we didn't experience this, this intense level of fear, the loss, the huge grief, the daily feeling of helplessness, disconnection. We've all lived through this. And it's with very cautious optimism that we can finally slowly begin to move forward. It also might be harder than we expect. As we continue stepping out, actually I'm not stepping out that much right now, but still, as we do, we have to be ready for a range of emotions and we might see a surge of mental reactions like anxiety and pent up grief. So many people, including myself, became tearful in the vaccine line. And as we sat for that needle, it might be a while until we feel safe enough to look back at and process the trauma we went through. So this is a prolonged crisis. It has been going on a year and a half. It's not over yet. It means we all have to adapt to a new way of life. It means that we need to readapt as we reemerge because that's the difference. That's another change too. We have to try to reclaim our lives and integrate this experience, this huge, overwhelming daily fear and worry and helplessness into our experience of life. And we have to turn it into post-traumatic growth. That's the goal. 
I know journaling can help people, any kind of reflective activity, talking to friends. That's why we're talking about this today, because we want you to think about what you have been through, reflect on it, talk to your friends, write about it if that helps, anything to reflect on it. If you're overly anxious and fearful and having trouble thinking or functioning, it's important to realize that and get support sooner than later. Therapy can help, and sometimes medication is important too. You have to take care of yourself before you can help take care of anyone else. Lots of people need assistance for jobs, housing, food. There is a crisis of food shortage, medical care, education support after this year of body education, internet connections, and any other thing that you can think of for basic survival needs. Part of recovery is to help other people because it absolutely gives you perspective on what you've been through and it makes you feel better. And thank you for listening to our Pandemic Trauma Rant. Thanks for listening. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care. <laughs>